Hello, and welcome to the Adoptee Voyages podcast. My name is Erica Lorenz, and I'm excited you are joining me for season three titled You, Me, and Family. Each Wednesday, various transracial adoptees share their experiences on how relationships within the family unit impact their identity. Along with hearing those stories, Throughout this season, I have the honor to dive deeper on family-related topics with my friend, Amber Davies Sloan. Her lived experience as a Korean transracial adoptee, along with her academic research, brings such an exciting perspective to this season. So find a comfy seat, settle in, and enjoy listening to these adoptees' voyages. Hello, Adoptee Voyages listeners. It's Erica. Welcome back to another episode. The guest I have today, his name is Owen Knight. Some of you might recognize him. I'm a little fangirly because yes, it is Owen Knight from Survivor season 43. He was on there as a contestant. He actually got to top three. But the reason I connected with him, obviously, is yes, he is a transracial adoptee. Survivor shared some of his story. It had me intrigued and I instantly wanted to reach out, not only as a fan of Survivor, but as an adoptee who wanted to just learn more about his story. So I'm very excited to have him on this episode. Owen, if you want to say hello to the listeners, feel free. Yeah. Well, well, thank you, Erica. That was a nice intro. And it's really, really nice to meet you on here and see you. It's uh it was really touching when you reached out and just getting all the messages from other transracial adoptees over the course of the season has been so amazing. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, well, we are ecstatic to have you here. We were talking offline earlier and I just mentioned it was really cool seeing a transracial adoptee share their story on a reality TV show in a positive way. So Owen, can you just give us a little bit of background about your adoption story? Yeah, absolutely. So I was born in South Korea. And uh, from what I've come to understand, my birth parents were quite young. I think they were 22, 23 at the time. So just not ready to be parents or whatever. So um, no hard feelings from my end. But um, yeah, I was put up for adoption and put into foster care and came over to the US when I was four months old. Back then, pre 9-11, my whole new family was waiting at the gate for me. And there's some really great photos of my parents, my grandparents, my aunt and uncle, all sitting there kind of receiving me straight off the plane, which is pretty cool. But yeah, I grew up in the DC suburbs. So quite a few Korean people in the area. But, um, you know, I grew up in a town called Bethesda. Uh, I went to a high school called Walt Whitman, which actually the nickname of my high school was white man, because it was so Hmm. not diverse. Uh, (laughs) You know, there were a lot of like diplomat families and, you know, know, plenty of international presence in the DMV, but my school in particular was quite white. Um, You know, only Asian kid on the football team, one of a handful on the rowing team. But fast forward, you know, go to college at Tulane, live in New Orleans and start thinking more about my identity. But um, Survivor definitely was a catalyst for a lot of self-reflection. And um, it's like I mentioned at at the top, it's been very touching hearing from other adoptees and how they felt seen and they felt represented and that they, a lot of people said they had never seen someone like themselves on TV before. And to carry the weight of that has been such a huge honor and a, a side effect of going on Survivor that I never expected. So it's been very, very cool. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Thanks for giving a little bit of background. In regards to like the family unit and this topic that we have going on for this season, 
Can you kind of express a little bit more detail about like your adoptive family and maybe some of that dynamic as you processed your identity or recognize like, hey, I'm kind of like a solo Asian here in my high school. <laughs> like, how did your parents come alongside you and walk you through that during your yeah. journey? Yeah, absolutely. So my parents are great. And as you experience, um, you know, being in a transracial adoption, it's harder to keep that a secret. You know, it's not yeah. like, you know, the, the milkman or whatever. It's like, yeah. I was going to figure it out at some point. Yes. <laughs> but um, no, I remember I had my parents made me this, um, this book, this like photo book of my adoption and my a couple pictures of me at, with my foster family and yeah. like it was like a storybook of my first couple months and so they always were very careful about making sure I understood and knew and um I remember the first time I really struggled with it it had nothing to do with my parents first of all I yeah. my parents are amazing I had a really really nice childhood and I'm grateful that survivor on the show had me say that because yeah. I then go into this dramatics about how my position in the game is making me feel sad. We'll yeah. touch more on that later. But in terms of my parents, um, the first time I really struggled was there was a book we read, I believe I was in the third or fourth grade, but it was about uh, a Japanese American family and mm. during World War II and the internment camps and the hate towards Asian people. And uh, I just remember feeling very sad that anyone would be ostracized or hated for being quote unquote yellow yeah. and how scary that was. And I, I remember going to my mom and saying like, oh, is that going to happen to me? Like, am yeah. I this bad as being Asian bad as being quote unquote yellow bad? Like it was really scary. And and my mom was so great and she was comforting me and, you know, reminding me that she loved me and all of that. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, that was the first time I really felt kind of othered and like mm. weird. And cause you know, you're a kid, you're a child, you don't really pick up on it too much. And then you get to middle school, high school, you know, bullying and yep. racist jokes and, you know, just the way teenage boys are like, yeah. you're going to pick on someone for being something. And for me, that thing was being Asian, but yeah. no, my parents have been incredibly supportive. Like I used to do a Korean drumming group in the yeah. summers. There was this summer camp for adoptees run by the adoption agency. So yeah. they did a really good job of exposing me to those things, but we were talking a bit earlier offline just about how I wasn't old enough to fully process that and comprehend yeah. that and like realize the gravity of that in as like it was fun. It was cool. It was a cute right. summer, thing, but like the depth wasn't there for me. And that's because I was eight, you know, right. <laughs> um, but my parents have been, they've been great and um, mm -hmm. so supportive. And um, we had a really great conversation a couple years ago, watching the movie Lion with Dev mm. Patel. Have you seen that movie? Oh, yes. That movie yeah. wrecked me. <laughs> yes, it wrecked me as well, because we had no idea what that oh, movie no. <laughs> was going to be about. We were not expecting such an emotional punch. So I watched that with my parents over Christmas break once, and mm. we were just like sobbing and hugging each other after. Oh, yeah. And that's when I learned about the ages of my parents and my birth parents and, you know, really mm. learned more and asked more questions, but they've been great. Um, mm. and, yeah, it's I, I'm very grateful for the parents I ended up with. It's yeah. very lucky. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I love hearing that because as we know, not all adoptees have that story. And there's some big T trauma that um, occurs in some adoptive relationships between adoptees and their their parents. So I love hearing that, you know, your parents were inviting you into a space that was safe and communicative and open with your story and your journey. You know, it's interesting 
talking as adults, kind of going on the, the topic of, of family and our parents, um, there's some movies, whether it's like, is it Pixar for Kung Fu Panda or is that, I, whatever um, Kung Fu. DreamWorks, DreamWorks. DreamWorks, yes. Where like, that's an adoption story. I don't mm -hmm. know if anyone's seen Kung Fu Panda too, but like my family and I watched that together, sobbed. I watched mm -hmm. Lion, sobbed. And it, it opens that door for conversation. So I just love hearing that like your parents, your adoptive parents who are your parents, just have that kind of relationship with you where you can go back and forth and learn more about who you are, your identity, your story. And without them getting like defensive or feeling like right. I'm trying to replace them or exactly. feel like they are not my real parents, like yes. giving me yes. the space to ask those questions. Yes, yeah. which Absolutely. is huge because that's unfortunately not the norm for everyone, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, kind of continuing on that topic of, of family, I've heard through the rumor chain, you are engaged. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank um, you. Uh, weddings are super fun and exciting. Um, and one of the topics that we bring in for this season is like how us as transracial adoptees interact with romantic relationships. And if you think about it, as you get married, right, you're building your own family, your own name, um, your own unit. So yeah, I guess, do you have any thoughts on like being a transracial adoptee and forming those romantic relationships, whether that's in the past or even current things that you're working through? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think the easiest thing to think about is like, we were talking a bit earlier about, oh, you're the whitest this I know. Yes. Or, like, you're more yeah. white than this person who's very white or, you know, you're yeah. so American or whatever. Yes. And it's like these like veiled microaggressive comments that like mm -hmm. really alter your sense of self when you're 19, 20, starting to like become a young adult and explore yeah. dating in a different way. And honestly, thank God I didn't really have to utilize the apps very much or whatever. Mm. Like I know a lot of white people get confused when your name doesn't really match your face and it's just, yeah. it's a thing. And um, yeah, I mean, with dating for me, like I, I remember reading uh Aziz Ansari's book, uh, Modern Romance, talking mm. about like dating and relationships and the apps. And um, statistically speaking, it's Asian men and black women that get the least matches on the apps. Mm. And, you know, whether it's stigmas or stereotypes or whatever against them, like that is a challenge that people face in the dating world. But yeah. for me, I've always felt guilty in a way because most of the girls I've dated, well, all, all of my serious girlfriends have been white. Like I've mm. been in probably three like very serious relationships since yeah. college and all with white people. And it gives me a pause for one second where I'm like, is this like, is this bad? Is this good? Yeah. Is this wrong? Is this right? Like, yeah. it, and it's not something that everyone has to think about. And mm. I'm sure there's no like reason or bias or anything, but it's just like the community I grew up in this and that, like, it's just, it's wild to think. And even like, <clears throat> I remember, I actually talked about this in my survivor casting video, but I remember the moment or like the year where it went from someone saying like, oh, Owen's cute for an Asian guy to just being mm. like, oh, Owen's like cute. Owen's handsome. Like, and that was oh, like man. a big thing where it like finally, like, I don't know. I felt like I was finally growing up or being seen, not just as the token Asian person or whatever. Mm. Um, but long story short, it has this like layer just beneath the surface. I don't know yeah. if you felt this way, but where you just are like almost second guessing yourself, not, not in the relationship itself, but more in like trying to check your own biases or like ask yourself questions of like, 
am I like a traitor for not dating a nice Korean girl or something? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that's a real thing, you know, and I wonder if other people of color who are either like non adoptees, but maybe like second generation, I don't know, maybe feel yeah. that granted, like similar to you, my mom, she's one of my best friends actually today's her birthday. So shout out to my oh, mom. Yeah. But, um, oh, she'll be pumped that a survivor <laughs> cast member just <laughs> wished her a happy birthday. But yeah, it's one of those things where I think my mom was always really accepting of whoever I brought home. But mm -hmm. growing up, I mean, I called the town I grew up Vanilla Valley. There was white <laughs> people everywhere. And you get to college and there's maybe a little bit more diversity. But like, I think about it, everyone says like, oh, you tend to date who your parents look like. My mom was a single parent. So it's like, okay, like, who do I think of when I think of father figures in my life. I think of my uncles, my grandpa, all tall white males. My husband, tall white male, <laughs> has some clinket in him. Shout out to their tribe, but he's he's six four. He's like a really wow. tall white male. And people are just like, Erica, why didn't you go for so and so or so and so or I wanted to set you up with so and so. And um I'm like, are you saying that because they're brown? Like straight <laughs> up, are you saying that? Yeah. And it's just, it's interesting how I think similar to you, like I've had that in the back of my mind of like, oh, like, is this weird? But this is yeah. like my normal, if that yeah. makes sense in my community. Absolutely. Well, and then for the, just the gender dynamics too, like, I think it's less of the case for me, but then you always think about, at least for me, like when you think about an Asian woman and a white mm. man, like you gotta, you get into the whole like fetish yeah. of it all. And like, yeah. That, yeah. that whole thing is like, like, if you look like for me, like when Sammy and I eventually have kids, like, yeah, you're going to be the, the reverse of what most white Asian couples are. Like usually yes. most of the people I know, it's an Asian mom and a white dad. And, yep. you know, then it, like, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting, but um, no, if, if Sammy, when you're listening to this, I love you very much. Don't worry. I'm not like pining after some Asian girl or something. Just, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's just yeah. a lot to unpack. Yeah. It no, is. It's interesting and too because I don't talk about this every day. So Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because I don't think it comes out, like you said, you don't talk about it every day. It doesn't come out every day, but it's something transracial adoptees we carry with us daily. And mm -hmm. yet when things come up where we were like, oh, I'm either triggered or oh, I had this thought and maybe that's not a normal thought for non-adoptees. You know, finding those people that we feel like it's a safe space, which it sounds like Sammy is one for you, which is awesome. It's it's a lot to unpack and it's sometimes hard to talk about it with non-adoptees. I know in my few minimal years, but great years of marriage, like we've had to start unpacking those and mm -hmm. talking about that. And um, even the idea of like culture and raising kids and building mm -hmm. that family unit I'm still learning my culture as I go, right? Yeah. I'm, I wasn't raised in a household where Peruvian culture was at the forefront every day, all day. Yeah. And so it's just another element that transracial adoptees have to kind of navigate as we get older and do like, Definitely. yeah. 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 Circling back to the topic of belonging, Survivor mentioned your transracial adoption story when you were having a tough time in the game you felt like you were always on the outside and it kind of reminded you of younger years, which I think you articulated that really well in the season of Thank how you. a lot of transracial adoptees feel 
or have felt in the past of being an outsider, um, not belonging, not fitting in. It kind of brings us to like our chosen family. And I think Survivor, you kind of were forced to have that chosen family of different <laughs> cast members that you were playing the game with. For you, I guess like, how did you navigate that new space when you were like, uh-oh, we might have to relay some of those fears or tendencies that I had as a child and, and bringing in that adoptee identity and belonging? Yeah, absolutely. So. I was very grateful, as you mentioned, for how they told the story. I thought yep. they handled it with care. I thought they did not shoehorn it in in a nonsensical yeah. place. Like it was very adjacent to how I was feeling in the game and feeling yep. isolated and, you know, things going the wrong way for me in the game, which made me question, is there something wrong with me? Why don't people mm. want to work with me? Flashback to, yep. am I weird? Am I different? Do people want to be my friend? and just wanting to fit in. And yep. I think that's something, as you mentioned, that any transracial adoptee can relate to. And, you know, think of those feelings of just wishing or thinking that their life would be easier if they just were white. And yep. um, yeah. definitely a lot to unpack there. But I think in terms of like chosen family or trusting people or being a part of the show, um, you know, just being on a show like that or being in conditions like that, uh, you know, where we're living on a beach and building our own shelter and foraging very little food, they always say survivor cuts you down to your core yeah. and you can try to put on a front all you want. But when you're that tired, when you're that hungry, when you're that vulnerable, you are going to open up and your true mm. colors are going to shine through and you're going to have to be yourself and like your purest version of yourself. And so you feel this connection to the other people out there with a depth that is harder to achieve mm. normally. Cause you know, you think about college, you think about high school, yep. even adult yep. friendships, you know, so much of it is wanting to find common ground or find a way to fit in or like find, yeah. you know, the easy way to connect with someone. Whereas like on the show for me, I think we were all very comfortable just being ourselves and just laying it all out there and saying, this is mm. me. This is yeah. what makes me, me. I hope you like it. And yeah. so that, then you add the layer of strategy and fitting in and building alliance on that. It's a lot, but I feel very grateful that my cast is all very good people mm. who are very diverse and different, but like willing to hear everyone's stories and appreciate for who they are. And even on the the mat at the beginning of the game, one of my castmates, Noelle, who is a, an above the knee amputee, she yeah. was talking about how now you're encouraged to be different and it's good to be different. And mm. um, I liked that that was part of the tone for our season. Yeah. Yeah, I I love that. Um, and you, like you said, you did have a very diverse cast, which I also love not only as a fan, but as just a person who wants to see more diversity shown in spaces like that. Shout out to the uh, Survivor Diversity Campaign and the yes. Survivors. Now uh, every CBS show is at least 50% BIPOC for their uh, That's really cool. casts. Yeah, that's really it's, cool. It's great. We've a lot of, seen a lot of more people of color win these games yeah. uh, since then. So it yeah. helps even the playing field. Yes, 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 yes. In the sense of like belonging, do you feel like any of that almost like vulnerability or rawness is coming back with you after the game? Like, do you feel like you can go into more spaces and be more vulnerable with your identity, whether that's on the adoption side or not? Yeah, Erica, that's a really good question. I think yes, it's the short answer. But yeah. um, I think it it taught me a lot just about sitting in my feelings and being vulnerable and being more introspective and patient and like I don't know it's it's been interesting coming back because you know we filmed 
uh, 10 months ago, we filmed in May of 2022, yeah. and then we aired in September. So coming home and starting to apply a lot of that in my life mm. from May to September, um, but then also like then going through the viewing experience, yeah. reminded and get this new injection of it. And um, yeah, I think it really helped me um, be more vulnerable and at peace and like just willing to be more introspective with myself. Um, yeah. You know, part of my arc on the show also is like my temper and my frustration and my like how hard I am on myself, honestly. Yeah. And I, I think those lessons about that self-talk and self-confidence and whatnot can be applicable kind of in this sense with exploring my identity and um, mm. being more comfortable in those feelings, I think has been really, really cool and something I'm awesome. grateful for. Yeah, no, that's really awesome. I mean, it's kind of a side tangent from like the family unit, but do you feel like your adoptee identity ever impacted why you might be harder on yourself because you want mm. a sense of belonging? That's a really good question. And I don't think I've ever posed it to myself that way, but mm. yeah, I, I imagine there are some layers there yeah. where, you know, you want to get people's approval. Like I, yep. I do remember yep. talking about, um, in my casting video, like joking about the Michael Scott quote about mm. like, do I do I need to be liked? No, but I like to be liked. I yeah. want to be liked. I have yeah. to be liked. Like, I, I think there are some layers there of wanting people to like me. I've always liked making people laugh. I've always mm. liked, you know, being liked. And, and I think part of that did, I'm sure, fuel my desire to go on reality television. Um, but yeah, I, I imagine there is some unpacking and some reasoning behind it having to do with wanting to be liked and wanting to then fit in and yeah. have that likability be your ticket into being an acceptable person of color to be in a, in a completely white space or whatever. Yeah. 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 No, I, I ask only because that's a question I've definitely sat on a few times in yeah. the most recent years of processing my own identity, my adoptee identity, this idea of belonging, my safe people who I keep yeah. in my family unit, especially, you know, I think post 2020, mm -hmm. um, we've heard, we've watched, we've seen families, communities kind of just get torn apart because yeah. of differences. And so the idea of belonging and just understanding our own adoptee identity. Yeah. No, I'm glad you asked that. that one, even though that was off script. Yeah, That's off good. Script. That's, it's good. Like, it's good. No, like I said, that's something I hadn't posed to myself in that way. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. Um, well, as we wrap up today, first of all, thank you again for just being on this episode and just coming and talking to the listener, sharing your story, voicing your truth. Do you have anything else you want to add regarding either your adoption story or your thoughts on the adoptee identity being impacted by the family unit? Um, the last thing I'll add just regarding like birth family versus my adoptive family. Like, again, I'm so grateful for my parents. Mm. They are incredible and have been so supportive. And like after watching Lion, my mom started asking me if, if I did have any interest in looking to see if I could find my birth family. And just thinking about that and you know having thought about more my more about my identity after the show and whatnot like it's something that i'd be curious to do but it's not like a burning need like mm -hmm. it's nice because yeah. i think a lot of people you know there's always that question of like don't you want to find your real parents your real parents? like yeah. no i have my real parents you've met them they're great yep. they've lived with them my whole life they're incredible yeah. but it's not that it's not like i feel some emptiness or some like abandonment or whatever like mm -hmm. i i totally 
get it. But I, I want to potentially reach out and start exploring finding my birth parents so they know I'm okay. Because yeah. like now that I'm 30 and, uh, you know, engaged, excited to get married, excited yeah. to start a family in the next few years, the thought of me now, like thinking at 30, even just thinking about back to my 22 year old self, yeah. like I'm sure that if they're alive, if they're out there, they're probably like, damn, I wonder what happened to the baby we had to give away. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And I kind of just want them to be like, hey, doing great. No hard yeah. feelings. I hope you all are doing well and you've yeah. lived your life and, you know, we're able to get into a better situation or be ready and blah, blah, blah. So yeah. uh, it's, it's interesting and complicated, but it's like, I am definitely empathetic to the situation that they were in. And, um, yeah. So I think one day I would want to explore it. It's, it's been hard because the adoption agency I was adopted through, I think changed names or it's, yeah. it's like, it's hard to find. Like I found something it's Asia, A-S-I-A and it's, yes, I just spelled it Asia, right. Um, but it's <laughs> now it's called Asia families instead of mm. Asia, like, and it's, yeah. they have a camp, but it's not the camp name yeah. I remember, but anyway, they do a trip to Korea for ad adult. Mm. So I've considered looking into that, maybe going with my mom yeah. and um, sharing that together. Um, I think that could be a really special experience for the two of us in a way that I don't think would hurt my mom's feelings. I think right. um, that's my main fear also is like, like my parents are a bit older, like they, you know, they, yeah. my dad turned 50 when I was nine. So mm -hmm. they are definitely like, not to get too morbid on the pod, but like, yeah. you know, it's something that I'm going to have to think about a bit yep. earlier than a lot of my friends. Yeah. Um, and I would never want them to think I'm like setting the table to replace them. Right. You know what I mean? And yep. that's my biggest fear of ever hurting them in that mm. sort of way. So that's yeah. like this whole level of responsibility that I is, is a lot to unpack and think about. Yeah. 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 But I mean, I think you bring up an excellent point, which I think in a few other episodes we'll be touching on is the thought of your adoptive family, especially those that are getting older, um, adoptive parents, like how to navigate that journey, because I, I do feel like it's a little different. Like, yes, everyone has parents, everyone gets older, things happen, but um, there's a level of connection or for some adoptees disconnect where the way it impacts us and our journey and our story a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, unpacking that again with people that you feel safe with, which in your case is your adoptive parents, um, yeah. probably your fiance, soon to be wife, and yeah. and maybe some close friends and family, like is so important because this journey is a lifelong one, and it's yeah. not one that's going to be smooth sailing all the time. And there might be seasons we're in it, and there might be seasons we're like, I'm gonna put this on pause and put it in the attic and mm -hmm. and not focus on this because it doesn't need to take up 90% of my energy. So yeah. yeah, I just appreciate you sharing that with listeners and with yeah. me. Well, yeah. thank you. I appreciate you having me on at all. Like I said, this is not stuff that I talk about every day. You know, I don't have a yeah. big network of adoptee friends and whatnot. And it's always nice to talk to someone who can relate and have yes. felt the same emotions, and it's not this weird new novel thing like yes there's been so many times in this recording and offline where we've been like yep like I know that feeling <laughs> like and that's yep. really cool this is something that I don't get a lot so I'm yeah. very 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 grateful that you reached out so yeah, yeah this course. is fun of course thank you for listening to this week's episode on the adoptee voyages podcast to continue supporting this resource for transracial adoptees please consider making a financial donation at adoptivoyages.org. 
Stay connected by following Adoptive Voyages on Instagram and Facebook. And finally, join me next week for another Adoptive Voyages episode. Thank you.